0: Forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: Welcome to season four of The Missing. We really appreciate all your feedback and leads across the previous three series. As a result of awareness raised by the podcast, Goldsmiths University has now assigned a specialist team to investigate the case of missing mother, Lana Purcell, and a former police detective is currently working with the police to explore a viable theory put forward by listeners in the case of Susie Lamplew. Your engagement with the podcast through listening, sharing, and leaving reviews encourages others to listen and increases the profile of the cases we cover. All 10 episodes from Series 4 are available now on Amazon Music. When a child goes missing, people take action. The parents, friends, and family rally around them. The police investigate. The media publicises the story. That support is expected in the early days, weeks and months of a missing person's case. But what happens when those months turn into years, and those years turn to decades? How do the parents keep the hope of a reunion alive after the rest of the world has seemingly moved on? In this episode, we tell the story of 15-year-old Lee Boxell, who left his family home in the suburb of Cheam, Sutton, on the morning of Saturday, the 10th of September, 1988, and never returned. Over three decades later, Lee's loved ones are still searching for the truth about his disappearance. I'm Pandora Sykes and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Lee Boxell.
2: He was never in trouble. He was always a good boy, always well behaved. I've hardly ever had to tell him off for anything. He used to get up to annoying his, his uh, younger sister, but um, he never mixed with the bad kids, as it were.
0: That's Peter Boxell. Lee's father. Peter, a retired civil servant, met his wife Christine whilst on holiday in Mallorca in 1971. They married a year later and moved to North Cheam, a picturesque commuter suburb about an hour's drive away from London. Lee arrived in 1973. Two years later, and now with a baby girl on the way, the Boxells relocated to a larger house in Cheam, where daughter Lindsay was born. Peter and Christine have lived there ever since.
2: There's one of uh, about 20 or so houses built around a little green, uh, which is just off off the road. So it was perfect for children to play out on because they will be nice and safe. They don't have to play on the street at all. They can just p- kick around football on the, on the green. And uh, my son used to love playing with the kids around here. And uh, he'd go out and play football with them. As, as he got older, he would be the boy that w- would look after the younger kids if they hurt themselves. Uh, so he's very very kind and uh, feeling in that way.
0: Peter paints an idyllic picture of a local community that was welcoming and supportive, one where neighbours looked out for one another.
2: We know all of our neighbours, and uh, when it, certainly when I was younger, I used to be the first port of call for anybody who needed something sorted out in their house. In
0: 1981... Peter's work as an architectural engineer took the entire family to Hanover, Germany, where he designed living quarters for the British Armed Forces stationed there.
2: Lee and his uh, sister, I think they had a great time in Hanover. They, they both went to a, uh, an English school there, which was provided by the military, just around the corner from where we, we were living. Uh, very generous accommodation. We had a uh, woods nearby that they, they could explore. We had an, an open air swimming pool just down the road, and we could just either go on bicycles or, or jump on the tram going to the middle of Hanover. And there was lots to see and do there. There's even a McDonald there. Were even McDonald's in Germany in the in the 80s. So that was just a wonderful time because every weekend we we managed to jump in the car and shoot down the autobahn and to see something of interest. Sometimes I take them to see historic buildings, but. Uh, other times we go to amusement um, parks and, uh, yeah, they had a great time. It was uh, probably the best years of our life.
0: The Boxells returned to Cheam three years later, in 1984, when Lee was 11. Lee attended Cheam High School, about a quarter of a mile away from the family home. Lee was never particularly academic, Peter remembers. He was always far more interested in football than in school.
2: It was just uh, football crazy.
0: <laughs> Lee was a devoted fan of his local team, Sutton United, and could often be found cheering them on from the crowd at their home ground, Gander Green Lane, on a Saturday afternoon.
2: He used to love going out to, onto the green in front of our house and playing football. And uh, as, as he reached age, I think it was about 13 or 14, he joined the the Young Supporters Club at uh, Sutton United. Their ground is just about half a mile from here. And um, he used to go with the other young supporters on coach trips to away matches, or he used to go to the home matches. Obviously, you could walk up there. It's only sort of a 10 minute walk.
0: After football, Lee's other great love was music, a passion he and his father shared. You no,
2: know, he t- takes after me in that respect. He's got quite a collection of vinyl. And um, he used to record the radio, music on the radio, and make up little tapes of, of, you know, I think they call them mixes now, of lots of recordings that, that he liked. So we, we've got dozens and dozens of uh, cassette tapes. He also used to like to um, re- record his voice on a little home recorder, pretending to be an announcer, introducing the music, or telling the news.
0: Peter has one particularly fond memory of attending a Shaken Stevens concert with Lee whilst the family was still based in Hanover.
2: That that was one of the highlights of of our uh, spell there. I would would have liked to have gone to football matches with him, but he he was too embarrassed to be seen with his old dad.
0: (laughs) Cheering at football matches and rock gigs aside, Lee was a quiet, reserved child.
2: He didn't have many friends, uh, but the friends he did have uh, were were really good friends. Uh, so he was a little bit shy.
0: Lee's shyness didn't stop him from meeting someone special, however.
2: Uh, Lee didn't tell us much about uh, his uh, girlfriends, but we do know that he, he did meet uh, a very nice uh, girl who lived just a few houses away, around the corner. And um, he used to ask a neighbour if he could take their dog for a walk so that he would get a chance to, to meet this uh, young young lady. And I think he did meet her once or twice, and uh, they did go out somewhere. I'm not sure of the details. He liked to keep everything a bit private. Um, you know, if he, if he came home from school and I'd say, What sort of, what do you do at school today? It was, Oh, nothing much. Can't remember. You know, just a typical boy. <laughs> but uh, just, bef- it was just before he went missing, actually, he did ask me to come along with him and, and one of his close friends uh, to see one football match, which was um, at Sutton United. And uh, that that was the the last match that he saw and the only chance I had to go with him. And that was a really lovely summer's morning and uh, I think that was the last match he saw before he disappeared.
0: It was the 10th of September, 1988. Aptly, Feel the Need in Me by Shakin' Stevens was in the charts. Peter got up at his usual time around 7 a.m., whilst Lee, like most teenage boys, took a little longer to surface.
2: He came downstairs still in his pyjamas and uh, he sat down in an armchair and he, he wasn't quite awake. He, he was a bit, um, he looked a bit sleepy and uh, I told him that um, his mum was going to, to Bromley to look after her or his, his grandmother who was ill and uh, that his sister was going out uh, for the day with her friends.
0: Peter asked his son what his plans were for the day, though the answer wasn't exactly forthcoming.
2: He was a bit groggy and mumbled something, so I didn't press him. Um, It didn't really matter if we knew exactly what he was going to do. And uh, so I I went out and uh, dropped my wife off to to get a bus up to Bromley, uh, my daughter, to, to meet her friend.
0: Little did Peter know, that that brief and inconsequential exchange with a half-asleep Lee would be the last time he would ever speak to his son. Peter's day unfolded like any other.
2: I went to Sutton, did a bit of shopping. When I came back, uh, Lee, Lee wasn't at home. And uh, as the day went on, I wasn't worried, Uh, you know, know, Lee's 15, he he should be able to look after himself if he was going up to Sutton or wherever. Or or even if he was going to a local football match, Um, but I didn't know at that time what he was planning. So as the day went on, I I wasn't too worried, but uh, as evening uh, came, I I, I made myself something to eat. Uh, Lee hadn't returned, so my wife rang me from Bromley and uh, said that Lee got home okay. And uh, I said, you know, no, no, he hasn't turned up, he, he'll be long soon, uh, don't, don't worry about it. But she kept ringing me uh, during the evening, and as it got later and later, and there was no sign of Lee. Looking back to when I was 15, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd done what sort of thing I might have done, which is go with some friends, been having a good time, uh, maybe listening to some music with them, and, and, and perhaps he hadn't thought of uh, ringing us to let, let us know he'd be home late, so... You know, 15 is nearly an adult, so I wasn't worried. But uh, his mother, Christine, she was uh, panicking and uh, she got a cab and went came straight home.
0: Christine was a worrier by nature, something Lee was acutely aware of. For him not to keep her in the loop about his plans was unusual. He would always get in touch to say when he'd be back if he wasn't returning straight home after a match and would go out of his way to find a payphone to call home.
2: As night drew on, uh, we started making phone calls uh, to the to hospitals, to all of our friends, or Lee's friends, uh, relatives, uh, to see if we could find what happened to Lee. You know, pe- perhaps I was beginning to think perhaps he would had an accident and was in the hospital.
0: The box owls started ringing round everyone they could think of.
2: But there were no reports of what had what, uh, happened to Lee. No, nobody knew where he was. None of his friends knew. Relatives didn't know. Um, There was uh, one other possibility and that was his best friend had uh, gone with uh, his parents uh, to the coast and we thought, well, perhaps he'd gone with them and uh, hadn't left a message or anything.
0: Christine and Peter anxiously awaited the return of Lee's friend Anthony and his parents who lived nearby. But when they eventually arrived home later that evening, Lee wasn't with them. Panic set in. A visceral fear in our bellies that most of us have experienced at one time or another. The family immediately called Metropolitan Police and reported Lee as missing.
2: The police uh, came to see us in the morning and um, as far as they're concerned it's a 15-year-old boy, he should be able to look after himself. One police officer took me in his car around Sutton to see if we could spot him, but uh, obviously we didn't. But uh, the next day, I think we're talking about Monday now, the police really took it seriously.
0: The police conducted interviews with Lee's family and friends, which soon revealed that Lee had been with his friend Russell on the day he'd gone missing. The pair had met up at around 11am on the Saturday morning, and spent a few hours window shopping on Sutton High Street. Lee and Russell had originally planned to attend a football match between Charlton Athletic and Millwall at Selhurst Park in Croydon, about 40 minutes away by train, at 3pm that afternoon.
2: But uh, his friend changed his mind and went home at uh, lunchtime, leaving Lee on his own in Sutton. Now, Sutton High Street is about uh, a mile and a half from here. And uh, there were no positive sightings of Lee going towards uh, the railway station to go on the train if he'd met anybody that was willing to take him. And uh, that was all, all we knew. He'd been left in Sutton at lunchtime. And there were no further reports of him that we knew of at that time.
0: Police began operating on the theory that Lee had eventually made it to the football match at Selhurst Park. They obtained video from the Charlton Millwall game, hoping to spot Lee in the crowd, but they found no sign of him in the sea of fans. Police then followed the same line of inquiry with a number of other football matches taking place in the surrounding area that day, but all with the same result, which did not surprise Peter.
2: He, he would never go to a football match on on his own. He'd always go. He would only go if he had a friend to go with him, and then he he wouldn't. Um, Wear his uh, football club scarf in case uh, anybody picked on him until he got to the match w- with other supporters.
0: The following week, an appeal was made to the public for information about Lee's whereabouts. Posters were put up all over Sutton with information about Lee. Lee was five foot seven, of slim build with light brown hair. On the day he went missing, he was wearing black jeans, a white Flintstones t shirt. And suede shoes. Police were confident that Lee wasn't a runaway. His family and friends had all expressed that he was a happy boy, even if he was a bit shy. There was nothing that anybody knew of that would have caused him to leave his home, his family. But that opened up a number of other more worrying possibilities, and police began to search Cheam and the surrounding area for any sign of Lee. Could he have walked off somewhere? and been injured. Hit his head, perhaps.
2: The sort of places that were searched were, were the, the, the grounds uh, quite near to us, actually. Um, it's all built on now, but at the end of the road, there was uh, uh, some area that was designated for building houses on, so that was uh, sort of scrubland and trees. And that was searched. Um, an area at Banster was searched by by the, a hospital down there, and uh, Mitchum Common. But uh, the, the, nothing was found, no, no, no evidence, no signs, no, no trace of Lee.
0: As the days passed, the news of Lee's disappearance began to spread and gain momentum. Wimbledon FC's centre-forward John Fashionoo, a hero of Lee's and a prominent footballer in the late 80s, appealed to the public on Thames News for information that could help the case, posing with the same Flintstones t-shirt Lee had been wearing that day in the hope that it may jog someone's memory.
1: If you seen Lee, saw him around, or know of his whereabouts, if they could contact the police, obviously everything will be dealt with in the strictest confidence. I mean, that goes without saying. So if there's somebody out there who knows where Lee is,
0: please, please give a call. Carol Decker, the lead singer of pop group T'Pau, whose poster Lee had had on his bedroom wall, also lent her voice to the campaign, making a joint appeal with Lee's mother via the Sunday Express. Lee's photograph appeared on milk cartons. His image was even included in the music video for American rock group Soul Asylum's single Runaway Train, which featured missing children from the US and UK. But despite such widespread support, no new evidence regarding Lee's whereabouts came to light, leaving the box cells in a hellish limbo.
2: After Lee had disappeared uh, it had a a, a tremendous effect upon my life and my wife's life. Uh, We couldn't sleep at night, it was was just like a a living nightmare. We we, we were just awake, uh, waiting every night, waiting for the phone call or the doorbell to ring. Uh, After a few weeks I decided that um, I wasn't really doing anybody any good by staying at home worrying because uh, Uh, We've got a daughter to think of, uh, so I thought it's best to go back to work after a couple of weeks. uh, And uh, this is really for my daughter and wife's sake, to give them as normal a life as possible. And I wanted everything to be as normal as possible for Lee when he returned. uh, As I worked for the civil service, they they were very good and they let me uh, take, take leave whenever I needed it to do interviews for appeals, for radio and television, for media and uh, to join in with various searches that uh, local people had organised, um, but, but, but none of the searches came to anything, we, we couldn't find anything.
0: Within a month of Lee going missing, Diana Lamplu, the mother of missing woman Susie Lamplu, whose case you might remember we covered in season one of The Missing, reached out to Peter to offer support.
2: And uh, the advice she gave was Fight for all the publicity you could get because that, that's the only way we're going to Lee. We've got to get that message out. So, you know, if, if um, the media come to us asking for an interview, instead of saying, oh, no, we don't want to talk to you, we want to keep it private, no, go for it. And uh, she was right. And so, ever since then, we've followed that advice and gone for every bit of publicity that we can.
0: The box sells' willingness to try anything that might lead them closer to answers about their son's disappearance extended to engaging with psychics. A move Peter didn't necessarily pin any real hopes on, but at the same time he thought, what harm?
2: We had a lot of involvement with psychics. Uh, They would would come to us and uh, uh, one couple knocked at the door and they they offered to find Lee, providing that they could uh, see an article of clothing like a shoe that belonged to Lee. And off they, they went with their, I think they had like a divining stick and uh, we never heard from them again. Others had come here and they'd gone into Lee's room and started screaming. My wife rang a psychic on the radio and she she asked him to tell us what had happened to Lee and he was most unhelpful. He simply said, oh, I'm, I'm sure that your Lee, Lee has been murdered and that his body is buried within a 30-mile radius of the centre of London. Now, what sort of help is that?
0: As the weeks and months went by, the investigation into Lee's disappearance inevitably wound down. Months soon turned into years, and years into decades. Peter and Christine were forced to try and move on. They had lives, jobs, and of course their daughter Lindsay to think of. But they never let go of the idea that one day they would be reunited with their son.
2: For many years, we kept Lee's uh, bedroom exactly as it was uh, with all his posters on the wall and uh, his scrapbooks uh, on his uh, shelf, etc., just as he'd left them. Well, I think we did that uh, for over 20 years.
0: In the early 90s, Mary Osprey and Janet Newman, the founders of the charity Missing People, then in its infancy, got in touch with the Boxells.
2: They arranged for me to meet a boy who, who had previously been missing and um, he, he knew a lot of the missing kids that were living on the streets of London and uh, I accompanied him as he went out searching for Lee and it was amazing what, what he did, he, he would he'd meet a group of kids and he would say, say what he was doing and they trusted him and um, the, one, one of the kids said say, oh they know somebody called Lee Walker who looked like our Lee Boxell." like my son, and um, he told these kids to go and contact, get a message to this Lee Walker and tell him to come back to where we were waiting, which was, uh, I think we were near Piccadilly, we at Piccadilly Circus, and within about half an hour, I, I couldn't believe it, this boy actually turned up, they, they got the message out, and they'd gone all around the, around the uh, homeless kids up in London, and this boy, Lee Walker, had... Actually, turned up, and there was a little bit of resemblance to our Lee, but uh, he was such a lovely boy. He, he'd actually written a poem about being homeless, and uh, it, it, was, so, it was really quite, quite an astounding thing that somebody could, could actually find someone else on the street.
0: Around the same time, Peter was approached by a man whilst washing his car in front of the family home.
2: This man what was walking along and he said, uh, he asked me if I'm Peter Boxwell. And uh, I said, yeah, I, said, I didn't know him. And he said he, he'd, uh, he was in the area and he lived in Greenford and uh, he's seen a boy serving at um, a marketplace uh, selling vegetables and fruits. And uh, he was sure that that was my son Lee and I, uh, he told me where, where I, I could find him.
0: Imagine how you'd feel to spend years searching for your missing son, only for a stranger to walk up to you, out of the blue, and tell you he's been selling apples and pears at a market less than 20 miles away.
2: So I thought, well, this, this is this is too good to be true. If this boy has been serving to the public it, 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 on a market stall, surely somebody would have recognised our, our son from all the publicity that we'd been managing to get at that time. So. I thought it was very unlikely that it was Lee.
0: Nevertheless, the following day, Peter made the drive over.
2: So it was Greenford, there was a market there. And um, I saw in the distance the market stall with uh, what appeared to be uh, a, a youngster serv- selling uh, vegetables and fruit there. And as I walked closer, I thought, my goodness, it does look like our son. And it, he resembled Lee so much that I was... convinced it was Lee and I had to go up and speak to this boy and look closely even just looking at him I couldn't be 100% sure that that whether it was Lee or not I had to speak to him and as soon as he spoke I I knew that it wasn't sadly it wasn't Lee because his voice was different and uh, looking at him closer I mean he really did resemble Lee uh he's got different shape earlobes and that apart from that it, it could easily have been our son and i was I was so disappointed, uh, but it just shows you that with all the publicity a, a, a missing uh, child gets with, with, with you know photographs being shown in newspapers, magazines, on TV, etc, it still takes years before somebody can uh, um, com- will compare that and recognize that face with somebody who's in front of the public every day of the week serving on, on, on the market stores. It just shows you how hard it is to get the information out, the appeals, to get those appeals out to the public.
0: That lead was the last meaningful one the box sales would get for quite some time. Then, in 2012, almost 25 years after Lee vanished, there came a breakthrough.
2: The police were doing another review of Lee's case and uh, they were looking at some reports, some sightings of Lee heading towards home from Sutton. So he'd be, he'd be heading towards uh, Cheam, as it were. And um, they, they also had information about uh, an unofficial youth club in a shed. which had a sort of uh, pet name of the, the shed.
0: The shed was a ramshackle outbuilding in the grounds of St Dunstan's Church that gained notoriety in 2011 when it emerged that the church's groundskeeper and gravedigger, William Lambert, had sexually abused multiple children there. The assaults had taken place in the late 1980s, when the hut became a place where teenagers would gather.
2: Local kids would just pop in there and uh, they could do what, pretty much what they wanted as far as I understand. You know, They could, they could have a smoke or a drink or whatever they wanted. And uh, the paedophile would groom uh, kids girls and I think in some occasions boys uh for his sexual gratification he he would make them frightened of him and so that they would have have to do whatever he commanded them to do he had been tried uh many years earlier for similar offenses but uh he he was not convicted on the first occasion the vicar who was uh, gave him a, a very good character reference and the jury believed him rather than the victims.
0: Lambert, a former soldier, ran the shed. He used his proximity and familiarity with the children there to coerce multiple underage girls into intercourse with him. Lambert claimed to be a warlock, and that by having sex with his victims, who were aged between 11 and 15, he could solve their problems. He even told one girl, who was pregnant, that sex with him abort her child. It's a truly horrific case, brought against Lambert after a woman in her thirties reported him to police. She had had a counselling session, which had unlocked her repressed memories of his crimes. The Metropolitan Police subsequently located three other victims, and in 2011 Lambert was found guilty of two counts of procuring girls to have sexual intercourse by false pretenses and representations. Rape, and two indecent assaults. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison at the age of 75. There couldn't be a more horrifying link to the disappearance of a young boy, but understandably the police, and Lee's family, began to question whether the two cases were related.
2: Now, they, they put two and two together because this paedophile had been convicted, he he'd, he'd been imprisoned for offences against uh, youngsters uh, that uh, he enticed into the shed, and uh, they thought that uh, uh, Lee might might have been heading towards this this unofficial club. Uh, w- w- it was the first we'd heard of it, and um, it may have been the first time that Lee had uh, gone there. And uh, they they interviewed various people, and they had some uh, statements from from somebody saying that. Um, Lee had been murdered and by the person running the club, William Lambert.
0: So had Lee been to the shed that day in 1988? The church was less than a mile away from where he'd last been seen on Sutton High Street. Did Lee see something he shouldn't have seen? Something that the perpetrator might go to great lengths to conceal?
2: Knowing my son, if he had witnessed a crime being committed by the man running the shed or by his friends, he would have gone to help the victim. It's just a theory, but if that had happened, that was possibly why he was murdered.
0: In 2012, based on tip-offs in the aftermath of the William Lambert conviction, police made the decision to excavate the graveyard at St Dunstan's church Believing they might find Lee's remains there, the work which began in July was carried out by plainclothes police working with archaeologists under the cover of tarpaulins.
2: They excavated down to a depth of about two meters. It was like an archaeological excavation, you know, using excavators to dig, and then then spades, and forks, and so on, and then fingertips to actually go for everything that they found.
0: Police made use of -of state-of-the-art, ground-penetrating army radar scanners, normally used by the Royal Engineers, to search for any disturbances made to the graveyard and church grounds.
2: One of the problems is that uh, they weren't allowed uh, to open any of the graves. That's understandable, Um, so they had to go alongside every grave there. I I went there to visit them to see how they're getting on one day and... uh, At first, I couldn't see anybody. There were just trenches everywhere. And uh, then they all popped up their heads one by one. And I could see all these officers. uh, They'd all been working down on, doing fingertip searches of the ground uh, at the bottom of these deep trenches. And uh, there there were dozens of of, uh, officers. That that included um, archaeologists. uh, So they were doing a very, very thorough job. And uh, I should be forever grateful for them to, to do that.
0: The work, which continued for over a year at a cost of £1 million, was the longest forensic archaeological dig carried out in Scotland Yard's history, but ultimately failed to turn up any new evidence.
2: William Lambert was questioned by the police uh, while he was st- still in prison uh, for uh, other uh, offences against uh, youngsters, but he, obviously he wouldn't admit to anything, although I think he, he had told so- another another prisoner, that uh, he had committed these offences, but it was all hearsay, so there just wasn't enough evidence to convict him. I would say it's almost certainly that, uh, almost certain that uh, Bill Lambert did, did murder our son. I can't think of any other reason uh, why Lee, Lee wouldn't come home. That's the police theory, and, I, and I, I'm i inclined to agree with them this on this occasion that they've got it right.
0: Lee's parents have continued with their campaigns to the public for information about their son. They took part in a Crime Watch episode on Lee, broadcast in 2013. And in the same year, a fresh appeal for information about Lee's disappearance was launched with the Metropolitan Police, offering a reward of £20,000 to anyone who could help to progress this case. The Crime Watch episode resulted in some new leads most of which were related to William Lambert and the Shed. In 2014, Lambert, who was then in prison for his crimes, was questioned about the disappearance of Lee. Two other men, aged 52 and 41, were also arrested on suspicion of murdering Lee. But no charges were filed against any of the men.
2: There have been uh, no leads since uh, that, that. those arrests uh, nobody's come forward with any further reporting sightings or evidence at all
0: in recent years peter has found an unexpected outlet for the grief he feels for his missing son starting a choir with the families of other missing people and eventually finding himself performing in the finals of britain's got talent
2: my goodness, it was so helpful to all those family members that joined the choir to give them something to occupy their minds. And it's, it's really a, a release from the worry of what's happened to your missing child. It gives us something positive to think about and to do, you know, raising awareness of the charity and, and the problem of uh, having missed ones, missing ones. And uh, it was really great. So we well, we're still, we're still continue with that choir now.
0: Now in his late 70s, Peter is more determined than ever to solve the mystery of what happened to his son.
2: I'm sure there must be at least one person living now that knows what happened to Lee. And uh, that person, be it a man or a woman, is keeping that secret. And uh, please put us out of our misery and uh, come forward and uh, tell us what actually happened to Lee.
0: In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Lee, or you remember seeing someone like him in Cheam on the morning of Saturday, the 10th of September, 1988, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Lee Boxell before listening to this episode, you could still help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we featured in the series. On there, we've posted the age-progressed image of how Lee might look now. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. The series is also made with the help of missing people who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. You can reach them by calling or texting 116000 or by emailing them at 116000 at missingpeople.org.uk. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Peter hopes that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds, are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party
0: started this season we're launching a new episode of the missing every week but if you don't want to wait you can listen to them exclusively on what's the story crime Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.